Okay, let's come together for the reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. This reading focuses on Zechariah, but you'll hear a couple of familiar names like Elizabeth and John, but we are focusing on Zechariah today. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as priest before God, during his section's turn of duty, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. And then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him, he will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I know that this will happen? For I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. And the angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled within their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did not come out, sorry, when he did come out, he was not able to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he returned to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me in this time, when he looked favorably upon me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. You have come, O holy God, and we thank you for your revelation over and over and over again. Speak to each heart the message that you want them to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Advent story in Luke begins with the proclamation of the birth of two sons. 
throughout history, the history of scripture, the presence of two sons whose stories are intertwined is writ large in our history. Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and Judah, among all of his other brothers, David and Jonathan, Elijah and Elisha, John and Jesus. The parable of the loving father and two sons, disciples being sent out two by two, relationships, partnership, working with and for each other, and sometimes, as the names I have read, against each other. This is part of our faith story, even in the birth of our Lord. The first Joseph, who hid his identity in Genesis, stops the cycle of deception throughout Genesis by revealing himself to his older brother, Judah, and pronouncing forgiveness. Let's stop the cycle of vengeance now. David and Jonathan were two sons, but not related by blood. They were related instead by friendship and commitment. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. David was the youngest son of a shepherd who had been appointed king by the Lord God, breaking all traditions and standards. And Jonathan, his friend, conceded the throne to David because Jonathan understood God's choice is better than lineage. Two friends, two sons, David and Jonathan, one died and one lived and thrived, and both brought God's kingdom along. We already talked about the parable of the loving father and his two sons. One abandons him and returned. One remained and abandoned his father. And then those disciples sent out in pairs of two. I always wondered who is paired with whom? And did Jesus make the pairs, the people that liked each other, or among the 12 disciples, including pairs of people who did not like each other because they existed among Jesus' disciples? And they brought ministry to a community. The two sons of Advent are John, the prophet, and Jesus, the son of God. In today's lesson, high priest Zechariah, John's father, falls silent before the divine. Zechariah's name means God remembers. Zechariah and his son, John, are a bridge from the old understanding and the new understanding of God. A bridge does not separate one way from the other. It connects them. It gives transportation from one to the other and the other back again. John was a bridge. Jesus was a bridge. Jesus remains our present and our future, the bridge from who we are now to who we are in the future, back to who we were, a bridge with God with us through and on that bridge. Now, the reading in Luke, that Lee read to us so perfectly, I would like to just kind of possibly scramble one assumption. 
The reading infers that Zechariah became silent, became silent or was silenced by Gabriel, became speechless because he questioned Archangel Gabriel. So it seems like that Gabriel might have been a little miffed at Zechariah. Who are you to question me? Well, that's not exactly who God is. So this week, as I had assumed, Gabriel said, Zach, you're going to be quiet for the next nine months and ponder God because you deserve it after back-talking to me. This week, that was challenged for me. I thought that Gabriel was more of the aggressor here, but that really does not follow suit with our divine God. So perhaps, as I read this week, Zechariah chose silence, holy silence, as a response to being touched by God, a divine touch, a favor of a promise that Zechariah had prayed for through his entire ministry as high priest and his marriage with Elizabeth. This blessing of prayer answered. Maybe Zechariah, looking into the very presence of God, the very presence of the holy, the very presence of the divine, said, I think I need to be quiet for a while now. Just a thought. After this sermon section, we will sing, Let all mortal flesh keep silent. And with fear and trembling stand, remembering a holy silence. Meditative silence has been part of the Christian tradition from the very beginning. And though some people, maybe even you, would be more inclined to not listen to Zechariah and instead watch a music video or a movie about Zechariah, rather than stopping in silence and pondering his words, now, I assume that what's on your mind is you could say the same thing to me. Time to be silent. I'm just going to ignore that invitation. <laughs> Beginning this week, as I said during the announcements, Andy will be leading us in Teze worship services, which includes divine and holy silence. Simple songs allowing us to sing our heart's desire an opportunity to embrace silence and pondering. But in the meantime, I'm just going to keep going. After Zechariah's silence ends, the birth of his son John, which either prompted him to start speaking, choosing to speak and praise instead of silence, or if you go with the angel imparting silence upon Zechariah, that impartation gets removed. Zechariah sings at the birth of his son, this miraculous boy, which is physically impossible given age. Zechariah's song, which is the rest of Luke 1, if you want to continue looking at it, sings about the events of Israel's past. Remember that bridge, what was and what will become. Zechariah celebrates relationships, some which had been broken, 
Many which are redeemed. Relationships remembered. And remember that Zechariah's name means God has remembered. Part of his prophecy. God has raised up a mighty savior for us in of the mighty Savior for us in the house of his child, David. Thus God has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors, that bridge, and has remembered God's holy covenant today. The oath God swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us a rescuer from our enemies. Advent is the time that we refocus on God's promises on one end of the bridge and the pathway to our hope as the bridge continues forward. God's promises, which renew, renews our hope when we forgot about those promises. And that hope, even when things look less hopeful, Zechariah's proclamation of God's hope is to a people who had been bruised by tragedy through historical events, conquerors, tyrants, those who said, peace. But peace meant that if you don't do things my way, there will be no peace for you. Zechariah's prophecy about that bridge knew perfectly well about the history of a revolt led by his people, the Maccabees, against Antichrist IV, who had made it illegal to be Jewish. The revolt did not work. It started to, but it didn't. And Zechariah doesn't know what the gospel writer probably does know, and that is the second revolt in A.D. 70, long after Zechariah, where once again the people of God had said, all right, empower us, God, we are going to go conquer the enemy, and it did not work. So where is the hope in failure? This is God's hope, not human hope. God's hope is not tossed over because things do not go our way. God's presence is what Zechariah is singing. You're here. Even in this time of oppression, you are here. A holy silence and the proclamation. Holy silence and proclamation are the benefits of being the children of God. So, during Advent, I will speak about the nativity story in each gospel using an architect's drawing, which you see on the screen. Today I will ask you to consider Zechariah's silence, whether enforced or voluntary, that's up to you, along with the silence of the Gospel of Mark and its nativity story. The Gospel of Mark begins. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ as it is written by Isaiah. See, I am sending a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make the Lord's paths straight. And so John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness. And this is the beginning of Mark. Where is the nativity story? 
This isn't the Christmas story. This is the story of John the Baptist, whose father's story we just heard. The thoughtful Christian Advent curriculum from a couple of years ago invites us to experience our sense of a traditional Christmas and Christmas decorations, how those are represented in the Gospels based on each Gospel appearing as a home. See this house, this home before you. Imagine this being a representation of the Gospel of Mark's presentation, decoration for Jesus' birth story. Artist and ruling elder Kevin Burns from Highland Presbyterian Church in Louisville is an architect by profession and a deeply knowledgeable Bible study leader in his church. Burns created Mark's house intentionally as a sparse, simple home. His house was just what it needed, had just what it needs, and not much more. I see a door, a couple of windows, a chimney. The surprising thing is that there is not much in the way of what our culture calls Christmas going on here. There are no decorations to speak of. Not a lot to make us think of holiday cheer. Personally, in this drawing, I think it represents what the Gospel of Mark does, a protest of modern society that decorates for the, and then forgets about the Christ Mass after his arrival. Now, just for comparison, next week we're going to be looking at Matthew's Gospel. And Matthew's House of Advent is a little bit more opulent, don't you think? The Gospel of Mark begins with the voice we heard prophesied today, John, the baptizer, son of Zechariah, who announces the coming of the Lord and has done so. His announcement has gone through our ancient times, and that bridge back in the day, the herald always announced the way of the king. People knew to sweep the house, put on their good clothes, the king is coming. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, jumps straight to the point of the king who is being announced as John the Herald announces the new way. Mark, rather than Matthew, focuses on the life of Christ, not the birth of a holy child. So let's go back to Mark's house. And you can anticipate Matthew's house next week. The house is shown is not an image of Christ's birth from its very beginning, as Luke and Matthew will do. But from Mark, birth represents the life of Christ at its beginning. So in chapter 1, if you look at Mark, it begins with the acts of Jesus. It goes right through John, straight to Jesus, who calls his disciples by chapter 1, verse 16, and then is already doing miracles in chapter 1, verse 23. And they continue on 
miracle after miracle after miracle. The life, the life of Christ, the healing ministry, the compassion is the Christmas story in Mark. Mark has, is dedicated to Jesus' deeds of power as a nativity story. Deeds of power that lead absolute step after step to the cross. For Mark, that cross is the Advent story. The house does not illustrate Jesus' life, rather just the sparse beginning of the Gospel of Mark that takes us right the way through to there. Just under our cross is our Advent, are our Advent decorations. Comparing Kevin Burns' interpretation of Mark's Christmas story to a home in your neighborhood is his goal. Is it the decorations that make Christmas come alive in our heart? Or is it remembering the life of Jesus? So why does Mark have such a bland house? Or is it bland? Had I been faster, we would have had a lovely talk. I'm too slow, so we'll have to have our talk out there. What is here that makes the life of Christ spring out? What is in this picture? What is missing? Missing? What is functional? Is there any decoration at all? And why not? Or why? We'll come back to Frederick Beekner's opening line. Is there hope in the darkness of Advent? Can there be hope even when things seem sparse, a blank house? That's just enough to give birth to the person that changes our lives. Hope is found in the manger in Luke and Matthew. It's found in the cross in Mark. The hope that Mark offers is not in spite of suffering. It is the hope through suffering that emerges on the other side, that bridge. Maybe we should have had a bridge as an illustration today. It seems utterly counterintuitive, but this hope that emerges from simplicity is exactly who our God is, and this is God's way into Advent, through Advent, and in your lives. Welcome to Advent. Amen.